Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Today is Ascension Sunday. It's the day on the church calendar when we remember and we commemorate the day when Jesus rose up into the heavens to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. It's a great day, but also if we're honest, it's kind of weird. And we don't really know what to do with this day. Uh, And so much of the American church, because of the difficulty of what to know with this day, I think to our detriment, we've ignored it. Uh, So today we want to lean into this truth of Jesus's ascension to the right hand of God and discover what does this mean for us. And in short, the ascension of Christ to the right hand of God is a way of recognizing that Christ has been raised up or promoted to his place of authority over all of heaven and earth, so that now his presence fills the entire cosmos. So rather than being a way of explaining the apparent absence of Christ, the ascension and ascension day actually does the opposite. It's a day when we recognize the universal and cosmic presence of Christ that fills all of creation and where he now sits in a place of authority as ruler over all the nations. And this is really why, or this is the theological backdrop as to why the earliest Christians began to adopt the saying, Jesus is Lord. You see, they understood that Jesus was not just a guy with some pretty decent ideas about morality or someone that could help you avoid trouble in the afterlife. They understood that Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father as ruler over all the nations. And this, this morning, is the theological backdrop for our passage. The first letter of Peter is all about hope in the midst of suffering. And so he deals with themes of persecution, which is suffering at the hands of those that we might call our enemies. But he also deals with the general sufferings of life. And Peter's consistent encouragement to both the Jews and Gentiles that made up his original audience is that he wanted to speak into their suffering and encourage them to meet that suffering with the knowledge that victory will be theirs at last because God in Christ is in charge. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there or click there in your apps with me. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. And I want to read from the New Revised Standard Version. It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Discipline yourselves, keep alert. Like a roaring lion, your adversary, the devil, prowls around looking for someone to devour. Resist him, steadfast in your faith, for you know that your brothers and sisters in all the world are undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, in a time like this, perhaps all of us are connected to what it means to suffer in some way. Millions across the globe have suffered serious illness, grief, loss, 
emotional turmoil, financial insecurity, the list could go on and on. And suffering is something that has pulled, has really pulled into our driveways, knocked on our front doors, and let himself in without our permission. And as we try to make sense of what's happening in the world, I've heard many Christians kind of key in on this idea that God is in charge. However, if I'm honest, the way that I hear it talked about uh, is a little bit troublesome. In other words, let me explain. I don't hear this phrase, God is in charge. Uh, I don't really hear it referring to referring to or speaking about how Christ is seated at the right hand of God, fills the earth with his presence, and will one day fully reveal his loving rule to the world. Rather, much of the time, people talk about God being in charge as though it were the same as God being in control. And when used in this way, the notion of God's sovereignty can be used to minimize the suffering of the sick or even trivialize the global situation. And so faithful Christians can sometimes misuse this phrase to brush off any threat or even ignore personal responsibility to help keep others safe. God is in control, they say, as if to say that whatever happens is just as God has intended it for good or for ill. But this is not the case. And what I want to help us to understand this morning is that saying God is in charge is not the same as saying God is in control. To figure this out, we need to look no further than when Jesus received his crown, his crown of thorns. You see, God in Christ saw that the world needed healing and that things weren't exactly as God had intended them or that he would will for them to be. And so, in response to that suffering, in response to seeing that things weren't as he intended and that healing was needed, God moved into action. He sprang into action. And in Christ, he took on our sin and defeated death through resurrection. And this is his primary act of kingship. This is how he rules over the world. This is how he's in charge. You see, he doesn't rule over the world with control over all the details and minute uh, things or uh, even with manipulation or coercion or control, but rather he rules over the world as one who has authority. And so on the cross, what we see is that he demonstrated his charge or his authority over sin by not falling victim to revenge or insult or violence toward those who had sinned against him. That Jesus, when met with sin and when sinned against, was able to respond with forgiveness. And anyone able to do that shows that they have authority over sin. And he also demonstrated his charge or his authority over death itself through resurrection. And so God is, in fact, in charge. God has authority is what the events of Easter are proclaiming to us. But they are, that is not the same as saying that God is controlling through coercion or manipulation. Brene Brown uses this word picture, which I think is really brilliant. She says that she thought that God was like an epidural that would protect her from pain. But what she found out is that God was more like a midwife that is present with her through the pain, just as we talked about last week. So this, the message that I want us to kind of understand theologically, and, and I'm going to land this in our lives here in a moment, but what I want us to understand theologically is that God does not rule the world through control, 
but rather God has authority in the world through self-giving love. Greg Boyd puts it this way. He says, The cross reveals that God's omnipotence is not primarily about control, but about his compelling love. That God conquers evil and wins the hearts of people by self-sacrificial love, not coercive force. And then, of course, you know me, no sermon would be complete without a quote from N.T. Wright. Here's what he says in his forthcoming book titled God and the Pandemic. He says this, There's a lot of talk about what is God doing in the coronavirus pandemic that assumes that God is sovereign, and it assumes what that sovereignty will mean. Jesus, though, was unveiling a different meaning of divine sovereignty. This is what it looks like, he was saying, as he healed a leper, or as he announced forgiveness on his own authority to penitent followers. This is what it looks like, Jesus was saying, as he celebrated parties with all of the wrong people. This is what divine sovereignty looks like, Jesus was saying, as he went up to Jerusalem that last time and solemnly announced God's final judgment on the city, the system, and the institution that had refused God's way of peace. This is what it looks like, he said, as he broke bread on the last night with his friends. This is what it looks like, he said, as he hung on the cross with the words, King of the Jews, above his head. This is what divine sovereignty looks like, Jesus was saying, as three days later he astonished his friends in the upper room. All of this, this idea of God's sovereignty, of what it means for God to be in charge, in fact, what it means to say Jesus is Lord, is sitting in the background of Peter's benediction to his first letter. That after writing about suffering and about writing about hope in the midst of suffering, he gives us instructions, things that land right on the practicalities of life. And I want to just explore those very shortly with you this morning. He begins by saying, we need to keep ourselves humble. Let me say this to you. We cannot rest in the hope of Christ if we are focused on how much we're winning all the time. That if our focus is on trying to be the best at everything all the time, then we cannot simply rest in the hope of Christ and the sovereignty of God, who has authority over even sin and death. You see, without humility, what we tend to do is we tend to place our trust in ourselves rather than in Christ. Let me say that again. Without humility, we tend to place our trust in ourselves rather than in Christ. And so what happens is, if we don't have humility, we will be tempted to turn ourselves into gods and our enemies into the devil. Do you hear this? Do you understand that without this humility of heart and mind, we tend to elevate ourselves and turn enemies into uh, the devil? And this is probably why Peter reminds us that there is, in fact, a real enemy who's who's prowling around like a lion, who's seeking to destroy us. It's as though Peter is saying, it isn't our fellow humans who are the real enemy here. And so the encouragement in light of the, the grandness of God, the sovereignty of God, the authority of God, 
Peter says is, let's keep ourselves humble. He also offers this bit of advice. Cast your anxiety on him, the one who is, in fact, in charge, the one who has authority. And the the reality is, is that we may be anxious about how things will turn out. We might be anxious about getting sick or our finances or our grandkids or our grandparents We might even be anxious about when we'll be able to spend time with friends without the restriction of a mask. The list of, of possible anxieties and concerns could go on and on. But the encouragement is to cast our anxiety upon Him which is a way of saying, I want to release these anxieties and and recognize that I don't have the level of control that I probably have assumed that I have, and rather give those things over to the one who has authority, the ruler over all the nations who has filled the earth with his presence, who has defeated death, and who now rules with self-giving love, not coercion or force. That whatever the nature of our anxieties can be cast upon the one who is good. In fact, we, during our prayer time, we tried uh, to embody this in a very real way with our prayer time of the, of the recollection. Drawing our fists in, naming our anxieties, but then letting them go and casting them upon the one who is in charge, the ruler over all the nations. I love how this benediction ends says Christ himself will restore, support, strengthen, and establish you. What a word of encouragement. Put yourself in the shoes of those to whom Peter was writing. As they faced persecution and, and the suffering that came at the hands of persecution, along with all the general sufferings of life, You can imagine that the idea of restoration or support or firm foundation and strength was so attractive to them and, in fact, so needed. But I would say that just as that was true for Peter's first audience, that is also true for us. That as our lives have been upended, the ideas of restoration, support, strength, and even a firm foundation upon which we can now stand, look just as good to us. And Peter's encouragement, Peter's proclamation, in fact, is that these things can be found in Christ. Strength, a firm foundation, encouragement. All of these things are found in Christ, who rules over all the nations with self-giving love. Because he is, in fact, the resurrected and ascended King. Thanks be to God.